Hey everyone, this is Rabbi Brian. If these podcasts have been a blessing to you, will you please consider being a blessing to the nation of Haiti? Mishkan David supports two works of the Lord in Haiti. First is our orphanage, Beth Besed, which means House of Kindness, where 40 children are cared for each day, both spiritually and physically. And of course, there's our own Rabbi Peter Oliveira, who's setting Haiti ablaze by restoring it back to Yeshua, restoring it back to Torah, and to the Jewish roots of our faith in Messiah. Listen, to learn more, please visit www.torahforhaiti.org. That's T-O-R-A-H, number four, Haiti.org. There you can give a tax-deductible financial blessing and sponsor a child for only $20 a month. Hey, thanks for considering, and may Adonai bless you. Enjoy this podcast, which was recorded at our Mishkan David Shabbat service in Rhode Island. Shalom. We see void in the beginning of Scripture where the whole world was void and God said, let there be light. So God's word is a void seeker. Come on, you quiet congregation. Come on, give me some love today, my man. Come on, help me preach today, will you? He is a void seeker. He knows. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. <laughs> Bless the Lord. He is a void seeker. The void seeker. He knows exactly where to go. He knows exactly what to penetrate. He knows exactly how to penetrate it. And he knows how to bring forth life into where there is no life. Our God knows how to go to places where there is, where there is no growth and bring growth. His word is like the water. His word is like the snow. We, te- we really love the water because it's like, you know, you kind of play in the rain. What's the song? Is there something about singing in the rain or some, some old black and white thing? thing. You, you don't really pl- sing that song too much about the snow. You like to sing it about the rain. There's something kind of romantic about, you know, with your umbrellas or, where, you know, and doing the dancing and splashing in the puddle. But once it gets a little bit cold out, you're like, I want to go inside. But Isaiah said that his word is like the rain and like the snow, which means that he's, he's turning void into substance when there's water and when there's cold. All of it he's using to water. And we look at the cold in our life and we're like, I, y- you know, I received a promise from the Lord and my life is just not matching up to the promise. The promise is not the promise giver. The promise is in the interpretations of the promise. The problem is in how we are perceiving what he said and how we are, we are putting the conclusion to it. Th- this is a problem with humanity. It started in the beginning, you know. You know, God made a promise to Adam, the first man. And he, he said that, I am going to make you a helper. This is what God says, a promise. I am going to make you a helper. So what does Adam do? He does what humanity does. So he starts checking out the animals. He starts trying to do it himself. Okay, let me see. Okay, maybe, the, maybe he meant the cow over here. No, that cow is not really too sexy. I can't be, I can't be what he's talking about. All right, maybe the horse over here. No, 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 no. Even less sexier than the cow. You know, that's, he, he, he starts to do it in his own strength. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want you to hear this in spirit. God said, I'm going to give you a helper. And Adam said, okay, let me go check out the animals. Do you understand what I'm saying? He tried to fulfill this thing in his own strength. So what does God do next? He puts him to sleep. So he could stop trying to fulfill this promise by himself. And then he went, pulls out his rib, 
He pulls out that part of him that surrounds his heart, wakes him up, and he goes, whoa. Whoa. That ain't no horse right there. Do you see, God is the one who brought the promise forward, and he's the one who fulfills the thing. And many of us suffer because we receive the word from the Lord because he's still speaking. He's still giving promises. The, the word of the Lord came when we read the scripture through many servants of God and we, and we see that the word of the Lord, and we think that the word of the Lord is, is just the Bible. The word of the Lord. It's the Bible. It's what he already said. But I tell you, the word of the Lord is also what he's saying to you because he's still a promise giver and he's still a promise keeper but he's the one who keeps that promise so we read the scriptures and we're like he could do exceedingly abundantly above all i could think and hope and i can imagine and i look at my finances and they're like it's not matching up but i, I see his promise that it's exceedingly abundantly above. So then in our, in our heads, see, we get the promise, and then we kind of, we, look, we think of like, okay, if that's the promise, and this is my current situation, what is the fulfillment of the promise going to be? I'm going to be a millionaire. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wait a minute, it's exceedingly above I can imagine. I just imagined that I could be a millionaire. I think I'm going to be a billionaire. Bless the Lord, you are the keeper of the promise. And then we wake up the next morning or the next month or the next year and the bank account is still kind of, you know, at the ends of it. And we're like, what is going on? What's going on? I received the promise and I accept your promise. I have plans for you of prosperity. I got plans for you for a prosperity. But we translate it in a way that is limited because we don't know what God is doing. And we see it all throughout the scriptures. You know, Abraham, you're going to, all your children are going to be, you're, you're, I mean, like the, like the stars in the heaven or the sands in the sea, so will be your children. He goes, okay, it, it's going to be through my servant Eliezer. I don't know if you know that Eliezer is one of the unsung heroes of the story of Abraham. His servant, Eliezer the Syrian. Poor Eliezer the Syrian. My heart breaks for Eliezer the Syrian. Let me tell you a little bit about Eliezer the Syrian. Poor Eliezer the Syrian. Poor Eliezer. Eliezer the Syrian was Abraham's faithful servant his whole life. Because Abraham was, was a powerful dude. Abraham had a lot of stuff. He was a big guy in that area. He had a big inheritance, but he had no kids. So he had nobody to give the inheritance to. His nephew Lot was like a, you know, a dropout. A screw-up, you know. He didn't want to give his money to Lot. He would probably just waste it all on prostitutes or something. So here's he had Eliezer the Syrian, his faithful servant, Eliezer. Good old faithful Eliezer, 
the Syrian, who was his heir. So when God gave him the promise, the promise, which came from God, Abraham went, aha, you're talking about Eliezer, the Syrian, my guy. He's my heir. He's not even of my own household, Abraham said. So why is Eliezer an unsung hero of this story? He was the heir. He was the one that was, was going to get the inheritance. And Abraham had a lot of stuff. So it was a pretty big inheritance. I don't know how many people here have parents who are multimillionaires. And you're planned, and you know, it's someday, maybe, you're gonna be, you know, landing some major inheritance. But this was Eliezer, faithfully serving Abraham, and he was the heir of his billions. He was like the servant of Bill Gates, and Bill Gates didn't have kids or anybody. Eliezer the Syrian was it. But wouldn't you know it? At the age of 100, the guy has a kid. The guy's been serving Abraham so faithfully. He was the inheritor of the millions and the billions from Abraham. The freaking guy's 100, and he has a kid. So much for the inheritance. But then it was time for Isaac to get a wife. And this Eliezer, the Syrian, who served Abraham so faithfully and was destined to get this incredible inheritance from him because he was Abraham's only guy that he can give it to until Isaac came along. Now Isaac was of age to get a wife. And now Eliezer had to get him that wife. He was the same servant that had to go to the other area and find a wife for Isaac. So this one that lost everything to Isaac now is on a mission to find him a wife. And why is he the unsung hero of that story? Because you, when you read his joy and his reaction, when he found the wife for the one who took his inheritance, he rejoiced in the Lord. And he said, hallelujah, I have fulfilled my mission I tell you right now, the inheritance of this Eliezer the Syrian is far greater than anything he could have inherited from Abraham. He is the unsung hero of that story. Because the one who fulfills the promise has something greater in mind than your interpretation of what it's going to look like. The promises to your family, the promises to your ministry, the promises to your finances, the promises to your work. And I wish I could tell you it's all going to be like your finances are going to be like millions. But I need you to trust in the promise giver. Whatever that looks like. Jacob, go to Egypt. You and your people are going to go to Egypt and I'm going to bring you back. Okay. I'll go down to Egypt. And apparently God said he's going to bring me back. I'm waiting, getting a little old here. My eyes are growing dim. My kids are looking for a blessing. You said you're going to bring me back. The promise keeper fulfilled his promises. He was brought back. His bones were brought back. 
hundreds of years later. Was the promise not fulfilled? It was fulfilled. It just didn't look like it, how, it, how we maybe think it could be. And this is the story all throughout Scripture. Moses, go rescue your people. He goes and tries to do it once. Pharaoh makes things harder. And then they start yelling at Moses. And then at the end of that first portion in the book of Exodus, God says these, metal, these amazing words. He says, now you're going to see what I'm going to do. Now you're going to see what I'm going to do. The promises are yes and amen. The fulfillment of it. Let's get out of his way and stop putting our own answers on what this thing's going to look like because it doesn't have to be that. And be honest, it doesn't even have to be through you. You may be up in the cloud of witnesses going, God kept his promises because I see it through my children. David said, I'm going to build you a house. The vision was right. The promise of a house was, was there. But he said, it's not going to be through you. It's going to be for your kid, through your son. And then he told to Solomon that if you keep my ways, your kingdom will be a never-ending kingdom. And Solomon must have been like, okay, we got to live a righteous life. But it wound up being through a different revelation. It wound up being perfectly fulfilled through his son, Yeshua, all those years later. The promise giver, he's the promise keeper. How he does this thing. We risk listening to an evil demon of control when we think this is what it has to look like. This is what our life has to look like. This is what success looks like to me. This is what keeping the promise looks like to me. God has different things in mind. I'm reminded how Paul, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, he was a mighty man of God. He, he, this, this dude knew how to resurrect the dead as an afterthought. He wasn't a really good preacher. He was putting people to sleep. But he certainly knew how to resurrect them if they fell down off the window and died during his preaching. I mean, the guy should have had a, a good night's sleep. He had this ministry trip the next day. Instead, he's preaching all night. This congregation's falling asleep on him. So this guy drops down the window, dies. He resurrects him, keeps preaching. Must have been really important what he had to say. This guy knew how to resurrect somebody on a, in a, in an, as an afterthought. And now he's establishing churches. And when I read the book of Thessalonians, I don't see a bunch of people that are resurrecting people and doing all the same stuff that Paul did. In fact, I don't see one little story of a resurrection once those churches are established. What I see is a group of people that are weeping and mourning and saying, these people that we love have just died. And we don't see Paul saying, come on, man. You got the power within you. Resurrect those people. Why did they die on your call? You should have been healing them. Paul says, man, that's old news. I'm going to give you something new. I'm going to tell you right now that those people that died, when Messiah comes at that last trumpet, they're getting a ticket before yours. They're going to go, they're going to precede you if you're still alive. So encourage one another with these words. 
Bless the Lord. 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 He's the promise keeper. He's the promise giver. And we got to get out of his way so he can do what he wants and stop praying away the journey towards the fulfillment of the promise. Because if you're not seeing the promise fulfilled in your life yet, it just means that you're on the journey to that fulfillment. There's either one, two things happening. You're either receiving the fulfillment or you're on the journey towards that fulfillment because it says that his promises are yes and amen. But it doesn't mean that you're going to see it in the way you've seen it. it was at, at Hebrews 11 talks about all these people that in this incredible faith, and it ends the chapter by saying, but none of them saw it. But none of them saw it. Joseph is the greatest example of it. Got a dream. Brings his family together. Hey, guys, get, come on, come on, come on. I got this incredible dream. You got to hear it. You got to hear this incredible dream. I got it from the Lord. See, we all want to hear the dreams from the Lord until the, until the dream is like somebody else saying, you're going to bow before me. I mean, how many people go, hallelujah, that's a word from the Lord. They're like, what the heck is this guy? What is he saying? What the heck is he saying? This punk, we're going to bow before him? He's like, yeah, you're going to bow before me. You're going to bow before me. I got the dream. And the sun and the moon and the 11 stars, you know what that means? That means mom and dad too. They're all going to bow before me. I tell you right now that Joseph, in the fulfillment of this, could not have imagined that the fulfillment of this thing was going to involve the, the, his brothers, the ones closest to him, his brothers closest to him, casting him away to be killed, putting him into a, dish, a ditch, having him sold off into slavery, to go into a land of people that he didn't know, not the birds of a feather that flock together, a whole nother flock, a whole nother gaggle. Now he's got to run away from Pharaoh's hot libido, you know, a high libido wife who's lying about him. Now he's in prison. I guarantee you there was a time during that story where he said, you know, I may not have heard that dream correctly. <laughs> the word of the Lord may not have been what I thought it was. Because this is not what I envisioned when I brought my family around and said, hey guys, guess what? Guess what this dream I had? Until the famine came. And all of a sudden, these starving Jews came before him, not knowing who he was, and bowed before him and said, I'm starving. I hear you have food. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is not what I envisioned. But this is far greater than anything that I can envision. Because God is bringing a deliverance for the world through this. That I didn't see when I was in jail. That I didn't see when I was being falsely accused that I didn't see when they were throwing me into a ditch, that I didn't see when the Ishmaelites were, cast, were selling me to Egyptians. I didn't see any of it. But now I see the fulfillment that the promise 
giver has kept his promise. And I can't make this stuff up. So much so that once the brothers realized who he was, they went, oh my God, we are so dead. Once dad goes, when next? He's going to kill us. And Joseph said those words, which are prophetic for all of us. He said, don't even fight amongst yourselves. This is all from God. I tell you that you are reaching a point as you are on your journey towards the fulfillment of that promise, whatever that fulfillment looks like, you are on the journey towards that point where you're going to look at this fulfillment and go, oh my gosh, I could not have planned this. Don't even argue about it. Don't even yell. Don't even question anything. This whole thing was from the Lord. And everything that I was praying against and everything that I was, I was saying, God, I must have simply not heard you right, was all God's, was, was, was crafting this amazing story. And now in retrospect, in hindsight, I see it clearly. I didn't see it clearly when I got the vision. I see it clearly now the fulfillment came. The word of the Lord is like the rain. It's like the snow. It will not return void in your life. So there is a promise that was made in this place, and I'm going to end with this. And by the way, that was just the prelude. Now comes the message. I got three amens and then 30 or 40. So a word came forth in this way about five years ago, and it was through our friend Stan Leach of Blessed Memory who passed away two weeks ago today, plus about 20 minutes. And we were just chatting. And he said, you know, I, I was studying to be a pastor at one point. And, you know, I'm, I can give a word. I said, oh, Baruch Hashem, how would you like to give a word? This is about five years ago. How would you like to give a word at Mishkan? And he went, in the words of Ralph Cramden, <laughs> I said, oh, you don't have to do it this coming Shabbat. I mean, whenever you want to do it. And he went, And it got to the point where he actually, actually had to write me a letter. And he said, Rabbi Brian, I feel just terrible in my spirit that I have to say no to you. And I have a bunch of sermons that I did years ago when I was studying. And I, I, they're all ready to go, but I don't feel like I'm the one to give it. He said, but one day, I'm going to give it. May not be today, he said. But one day... I'm going to give a sermon at Mishkan David. And I said, Baruch Hashem, whenever that may be. Well, it hasn't happened yet. So how is God going to fulfill that word? So today, I have with me a sermon from Stan. we have the lights on here? Because Stan used to write really small. Exactly. 
this is not the way I would have envisioned this coming to pass. But the one who gives the promises has kept his promise. Do you understand? Paul's Boldness for Christ, written by Stanley Leach, October 18th to the 20th, 1999. When I mention the word power, many different concepts of the meaning of that word come to our minds. I'm sure we can all easily think of at least a half a dozen ways we can apply the word power to our daily lives. We have the power to say yes or no to a wide variety of things in our homes and offices. We can instantly travel the world via the internet or by television, but that kind of power is materialistic. And while it does have a purpose, it is shallow and not meant to make an impact. I wish to speak tonight about a power that is far more lasting, that has a far more far-reaching impact, and that's the power of the Word of God, the Gospel. We're blessed in this country with very few restrictions on our religious beliefs. Yes, there are some restrictions, such as prayer in school, but the challenges to these things are growing. We may, we may yet see them lifted away. We certainly don't face the type of challenges that the Apostle Paul faced as he went to Rome to preach the gospel. Even the last couple of years, we've seen an increase in violence in our public schools. We also see an increase in boldness in the gospel. In an act of school violence, we all recall a young girl by the name of Cassie Bernal was martyred. While she was not the only one to become a victim that day, she was asked if she believed in God, and when she answered yes, she was sent to join him. That day at Columbine High School, she was chosen because she was displaying a boldness for Christ. This kind of boldness in the gospel is what Paul had proclaimed in Romans when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is the power I wish to speak about, the kind of power that was able to let Paul have the Holy Spirit boldness to say, I am not ashamed. Paul was very focused, even faced many trials. He was still very intent on preaching the message of salvation. He wanted everyone to hear and know the power of God that brings all, and he underlined all, who believe to salvation. These two verses of Romans I wish to speak tonight about are generally considered to be one of the greatest summaries of the gospel ever written. Why? Because they are a clear declaration of God's saving power to all who believe. This means without any conditions. No matter what your situation, your status, your nationality, with this type of guarantee, how could we not be humbled by the God we serve? I pray that as I go through these verses with you that it will become clear why Paul was so unashamed of the gospel and why we can be just as bold and unashamed as he was. The theme I hope you will see throughout this message that Paul was so eager to deliver is that salvation comes to all who believe. Why was Paul so bold in his desire to spread the gospel? This truth emerges in three major ways. Now, now apparently Stan was really good at doing outlines because there are about five outlines, you know, point number one, point number two, number three, and then like within point number three, here's point number one, A. Why was Paul so bold? One, it is the good news from God himself. Paul was aware from his past experiences in the East that God's power works in the proclamation of the good news, that in the proclamation of the good news is able to transform lives. Paul knew that the gospel is the news that God has given to the world and wants to proclaim to the world. The fact that the gospel had been given by God himself made Paul unashamed of the gospel. The point here 
is no man should ever be ashamed of anything concerning the, so concerning the sovereign majesty of the universe. Paul had every reason to be ashamed. I'll touch on four briefly. For example, Paul's day was a day of moral degeneracy. In Paul's time in Rome, Nero was in charge. Rome was a cesspool of detestable and inconceivable wickedness. Compare that with the moral righteousness of the gospel. Paul was by nationality a Jew. The Jewish race in that day to non-Jews was thought as basically scum of the earth. Useful to be cursed only, mistreated, enslaved. Naturally, Paul would be apprehensive amongst non-Jews. In the flesh, Paul would be tempted to run in the opposite direction. The gospel Paul preached was almost unbelievable to fully understand. What I mean by unbelievable, picture this scene. You have a male member of this despicable Jewish race. He said he was the savior of the world. Not only was he Jew, he was a man like all other men, but not only that, his death was said to be different from the deaths of all men. He said he was said to have died for all other men. That is in their place as a substitute for them. And then to top it all off, he said he, has, he was risen from the dead. His resurrection was said to be proof that he was the very son of God. Such unbelievable claims made the gospel a contemptible thing. A natural man would shy away from making such a phenomenal claim. This is why the gospel was considered unbelievable. Paul was often rejected. We all have at, our time, at one time or another felt the sting of rejection. Paul knew the feeling quite well. While we may find ourselves being rejected by one or two here or there, Paul was rejected by an entire communities. Here are just a few examples. The authorities imprisoned him in Philippi. The religionists cast, cast, ran him out of Thessalonica, threatened his life in Berea. The intellectuals laughed him out of Athens. The point is this. With the Greeks thinking what Paul was saying was foolishness and his own people, the Jewish people, considering the gospel a stumbling block, he had many reasons to give up and flee to some other part of the world and begin a new life. But why didn't he? We still see the same thing happening today. People still feel ashamed of the gospel. Some feel this way because of intellectual shame. That is fear that the gospel doesn't measure up for those people considered smart. Smart people feel this way because they don't understand the concept behind the gospel. People also still have a fear of social shame. They fear that if they accept and proclaim the gospel, they will be ridiculed and mocked, rejected, ignored, left without a job, livelihood, left without family and friends. We need to change our way we view the gospel. We have the power. We have the means. We are all living proof of what the gospel has done for us. We can change fears, the fears people have over the gospel. We have to ask ourselves, do we want to sit back and keep the blessings to ourselves? Or do you want to share and tear down those walls? Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save. I have four significant facts to back this up. His word power, dunamis, means the might, the energy, the force and strength that is within God. The power is of God. It is his very nature. As God, he is the embodiment of power. He possesses all power within his body. He can do and act as he chooses. His word salvation must be understood and grasped by every person on earth. Salvation has three facets. Past salvation from the penalties of sin, present salvation from the power of sin in our daily life, future salvation from the actual presence of sin. 
God saves all who believe. Belief is the one condition for salvation, but we must always remember that a person who really believes commits himself to what he believes. If a man does not commit himself, he does not believe. True belief is commitment. Therefore, God saves the person who believes. Then he had a little note here. Use Chip and Dale here. Now, I don't know what that is, so I'm going to skip over that. God saves all nationalities, both Jew and Greek. First Jew, then the Greek. This means that the gospel was to be carried to the Jew first. They had been the channel through whom God had sent his word and his prophets and eventually his son into the world. Therefore, they were to be reached first. Then the gospel was to be carried to the Greeks, that is, the rest of us. The point is this. No messenger is exempt, is to exempt anyone from the gospel. No person is to exempt himself from the gospel. The gospel is for everyone, no matter what. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the revelation of God's righteousness. Man thinks that he's good enough and that he does enough good to be acceptable to God. Man thinks his righteousness and that he, man thinks he's righteous and that he walks righteously enough to be acceptable to God. What is wrong with this way of thinking is that man is not perfect. God is perfect. Man cannot live with God in this present state. He would pollute the perfect world of God. The only way man can live with God is by being made righteous. The answer to man's problem is problem is faith. When a person believes the gospel, really believes that Christ saves him, God takes that person's faith and counts it for righteousness. The person is not righteous. He's still imperfect. He still falls short of the glory of God as a sinful human being. But because he does believe that Jesus Christ saves him, that honors God. And God, in turn, accepts and counts that person's faith as righteousness. Therefore, he becomes acceptable to God. This is justification. This is what it's meant to be justified by God. We must remember a very critical point. A person must continue to believe. A person must continue to live by faith from the very first moment of belief to the last moment of his life on earth. And stand to that. It is our faith that God takes and counts as righteousness. We must have a life of faith. When we do this in righteousness, we, when we do this, the righteousness of God is revealed continuously throughout our lives from beginning to end. The gospel shows us both how right, the righteous God in his plan for us to be saved and also how we can be made fit for eternal life by trusting Christ as Paul did. Our relationship with God is made right. From first to last, God declares us to be righteous because of faith and faith alone. This is why Paul was unashamed and why we too can be unashamed. When we come to the altar tonight, let's thank God for the boldness we can have, just like Paul had, because we have faith in this gospel. Thank you, Lord. Lord Written by Stanley Leach, October 18th through the 20th, 1999.